Hey coach, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. Let's share the game. Awesome welcome University of Denver head coach, Dosha Woods, to the Basketball Podcast. Coach Woods has spent 20 years on the sidelines at various institutions, including 10 years as an assistant coach at Tulane University. She's known for her positive coaching style and her ability to create a winning culture within her team. Coach Woods, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I feel like I'm finally here. Like I finally have like made it. So thank you for the invite. Coach, you made it a long time ago. You made it a long time ago, and it's going to be fun to talk to you. <laughs> Look, we're going to get into a lot of basketball, a lot of different talk, but I, I got to start with this this quote from you, which is so powerful. And I'll be honest, it made me tear up a little bit thinking of it and the whole circumstance behind this. And so many people face challenges in life. And I just think you had articulated this so well, but your quote, some people are born into circumstances that they can thrive in. And some of us are born into circumstances that we're going to need some help to thrive in. What a well put sentence to be able to explain kind of the circumstances that different people face and part of the hometown hero project and that you are a part of. Maybe just tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about that quote. Absolutely. The Active Discovery is the name of the organization and Marianne and Tom are kind of the, the well, Marianne's the founder. And really, after COVID, they wanted an opportunity to kind of bring active active um, activities or sports, music, uh, to financially um, vulnerable population, right? Um, whether it's low, low income, things like that. And so they use the hometown series to um, often try to connect uh, the, those kids with other people that are thriving now. And I, I've been one that I have been very candid and open about just my upbringing and how I was raised. And I realized getting this platform, a lot more people want to listen to me. And it wasn't something I necessarily kept to myself, but it's one that I started to share more because I didn't realize the impact it had. And the more I share, whether I get an email or I get a message saying that really helped me, I didn't realize I was the only one. And often when people meet me, they think I come from this upper middle class um, upbringing and I start talking and I'm like, well, how is that possible? And so it, it's been a journey, but it's one that I'm definitely proud of. And now that I can articulate it as an adult, it's one that I'm I'm thankful for that experience. Um, obviously, it was a lot of hardship, different layers, right? Single mom, a lot of layers that can go into, but I know I wouldn't have had the same type of drive and resilience that I show now as a, as a person and as a coach had I didn't have that adversity growing up. So speaking about it, talking about it really just gives me a chance to let somebody know that they're not alone either. A lot of us uh, are in situations where we need help, and but we're all capable of thriving. It might just take us some time to get there. Well, I'm grateful you are sharing it and you did share it. And two other powerful kind of quotes from it. And the one is, there's life outside of the environment that you face every day. And then the other one is, I get to be successful in ways that I get to decide life for myself. And I just really think those are two very empowering statements for you and your circumstances and others in their circumstances. But also those two things apply to coaching and your team, don't they? Absolutely. And I'll start with the second one of just like ways I get to decide. Getting the position here at the University of Denver, it's been a great transition, right? But if we're judging coaches like most people do by wins and losses, it hasn't been the most successful. And so because of how I was raised, because of how I had to have 
resilience then is it's how I coach now. And so I refuse to tell someone, oh, you haven't been successful. I know I can give you a list of reasons how and why and why, why we are successful and why we will continue to be successful. I can't limit myself to just that ultimate, did you win or did you lose? Our core values with our team now is is, is progress, right? Is progress. And I think it's it's a one that I'm sure the players get tired of hearing and just not a lot of rattles me because I say almost every day, uh, this isn't the hardest thing I'll do in my life. And for some of them, for some of our players, this is the hardest thing they'll do is play division one basketball to get through a hard practice. And I have to be mindful of that, but it's not the hardest thing that they do. And there is life outside of basketball. There is a life, there is a life that you can create. And even how I lead now, I tell our players, there's an off day. Enjoy the city of Denver. Like we're in a city, there are things to do. Go do it. Make good choices, but go do it. You can call it coach. Well, Coach, let's talk a little bit about the the challenges in terms of being successful, winning on the court. And and I know in talking to one of your assistants, Lindsay Wernz, who shared with me some of the insights, like you guys are going full in on trying to figure it out. And that's the beautiful thing about this process of coaching, whether you're winning or you're losing, you're always putting maximum effort into trying to figure it out. So talk to us a little bit about that process of trying to figure it out. This this season be year four for me here and and for us. She we worked together at Tulane and this be year four for us. When you say try to figure out, I think we both are. Let's talk about like our motion offense. We want to go five out, and you have all these grand ideas, and then you get the team, and now you're trying to figure out do these ideas and the team match up with how I want to play. And the first three years, and really the first two years, it felt like we're just trying to keep our head above water. We're just trying to keep our head above water. And to see that the more that we watch film, offer clarity about what we want, how we want it, offer clarity offensively and defensively. Now it's like, are we we starting to get there? The key is, can we be patient? Right. You want to be patient to kind of see everything come together. And when you say it's been a process, it's been a lot of... Again, COVID impacted everybody. I love when people say you're student athletes and and I'm a servant leader by nature. I definitely want the best for our players. But COVID impacted all of us. It wasn't like us adults in the room didn't didn't feel anything either. So they have to navigate all of that. And I never understood when people said, wait till you get your own players in there to be different. Different in a sense of like how you want to play. So you can kind of address some of that being at the college level. You can recruit how you want to recruit in terms of a certain style and recruiting uh, the last couple of years, been able to get off campus has given us a chance to do that um, on the court. Uh, we can really now, I truly believe this is the first time um, since I've been here that we can play positionless. We, we talked about it, but now to finally have the group that you feel like, okay, yes, just get the ball and go and everybody can have the IQ to fill around each other. So it's been a process, not only on the court with our players, but obviously with the staff too, because sometimes getting a staff to buy in is harder than than your players, right? Because you're you're older, you have your experiences, and everybody has these ideas. And believe me, when I tell you what I missed about being an assistant, it's fun being an assistant because you're not making any decisions. You got all these opinions, right? And now it's time to make a decision. And now there's silence. Everybody's looking at you, and I'm like, oh wait, that's me. I have to decide. Like, and then you know you're. You, did I make the right decision? Is this what's best for the group? You think it is and, and being okay with that. So it's been a, a lot. And I laugh at my assistants because they'll come in with all these ideas. I'm like, what's the solution? 
right? It, it, don't come in here if there's not a solution behind it. And then, okay, well, what decision do you want to make? You gave me four ideas. What decision? Well, I don't know. Oh, welcome to my world. Because you gave me four, she gave me four, then she gave me another three. And so now here we are with like 12 things and I have my own thoughts too. So long, long winded answer to that. Oh, that's perfect. And and that's a great way of phrasing it too. It's like they bring you ideas, but then ask them like, what is your solution of those ideas? And I love that. And, and looking back through some of the st statistics specifically, like when you started in 2020, I mean, you are, were on pace to change a lot of things in terms of the offense, the offensive efficiency, top 50 and three point attempts and makes and free throws and makes and the free throws and the three point philosophy certainly has continued. But now you feel like you're truly positionless. Is there a Absolutely. danger in too many ideas and changing too much? Because it seemed like you came in with a really good idea. Yes, no, 100%. I think, you know, what do we still want 30 U shots and 33s? Anybody that plays us knows that we're going to launch shots it. are shots in the smile. That's what you call like in yeah. the charge circle, the smile. We call it, yes. we call yeah. it the U. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We call it the U. So it's, we want 30 shots at the rim and the U, we want 33s a game. And you know, that, that has been consistent. What we've been able to clear up is just our spacing. We want to be able to like penetrate and kick, have these gaps, double gaps, be able to drive in. And the first year was more of a, some three-man action, right? You three come together and we really relied on them to be able to talk, right? You got to talk, me, you, and and Lindsay, you're all in the same action. Well, am I going to slip? Am I, are you going to curl? I'm going to fade. And we did that and it worked a little bit, but then we, we realized that some people were just like, hunting for the ball. They weren't using both sides of the floor because she just wanted the ball. So we've been able to kind of clear it up this past summer, get a little bit more spacey. So now if you ask me, it's a fuse of Arkansas, Villanova, Creighton, Northern Iowa, Florida Gulf Coast, basically teams that play a five out motion. So we haven't changed much other than really because it's one motion. I think sometimes it can be deceptive of like every shot isn't for everybody. And there's just some people that have a better skill set. So now clearing it up, we have a chance to isolate those people, though it's motion when we want to, and the right people are taking the right shots, which is why we also started the green light this year too, where depending on the shot clock, are you allowed to take that shot? You know, if you haven't earned a green light, no, if you have a yellow light, uh, and to be able to kind of teach them how to make that extra pass. So that's great because a lot of people misconstrue what positionalist means. It is, a lot of people think it means equal opportunity, but it definitely doesn't. It, yes, sir. It is not equal opportunity. And But what I also love about it, though, is, and I tell our players, you know, the offense is designed to get what you earn. You know, I spent 19 years as an assistant, worked for a lot of different people. And one thing that I found was difficult is if you ran a lot of sets and as an assistant, I'm trying to keep you motivated because your job is a set a screen, you know, one, two, three, sometimes for said person to get the shot. And it it get it got difficult to try to keep everybody excited. Now with our five out motion, it really is designed to get what you earn. So are you going to exit cut hard? Are you going to run the floor hard in transition? Are you going to actually set a screen? Uh, it's not, you know, we can do some isolations, but it's really designed to get what you earn. So as things start to shape out, there's really no one to be mad at. You can't be mad at me. You can't be mad at the assistants. It's did you not exit cut? How is she getting so many more shots? Because we're not running any ISOs for her. It's just a five out motion. And, and I know it drives our players nuts. Our our core values, the O in progress is ownership. Well, it forces them to take ownership. Now it forces you to take ownership of your game because it's not, it's hard to place the blame when it's that way. And, and I love it as a coach because I can just be like, well, it's, 
it's equal opportunity ish ish <laughs> love it uh you get what you earned in the offensive system i love that uh, phrasing and diving into it uh, the red light green light type of system um i know you dove into it a little bit and you know my philosophy a little bit as well so i'm curious and when you researched it like what is the correlation between these on-air shots connecting to game performance because a lot of the evaluation of a player is okay they make a certain number of shots in a certain time or a certain situation and that proves they're a good shooter to be able to shoot in a game but as we know game conditions are completely different so how have you rectified that you know initially we just did two we had two drills for the green light and you know Lindsay was listening to, I probably was one of your podcasts and she was like, well, maybe if you can just reach out to somebody at Arkansas, I know one of the assistants as well, if you want to reach out, because I got a few more questions, they wanted to expand on it. And we were doing just strictly, you got these two drills, you need to get this certain time. So I ended up just texting Mike neighbors and anybody who's spoken with him, you know, he could talk all day. He's like an open book. And so then he added that when you're stat in practice, live play, if you can shoot like 42, 42% in live play and he had, or 42% in the game and then like 50%, he had these other parameters. So we've been able to add that because, you know, it's going to get busy with people trying to come in and actually get the green light. Will they have time? So at least everybody's going to be at practice to track it then. It is also, you know, you worked hard to earn a green light. We still may not want you shooting the ball early because of the other people that you're out there with. So now this kind of gives us a chance to have that conversation too. It was like, yes, you have green light, but she has a green light, plus she's shooting 42%. And this is why you need to make that extra pass. Ultimately, though, too, is even if you don't make it, you're still getting all those shots in. So now you have the confidence to really still be able to shoot. If you're open, we want to be able to score honestly, between um, 23 and 30 seconds, that first seven seconds of the shot clock, we want to play fast. We want to get our tempo up. But a lot of it is is our rackers or point guards recognizing who we're really looking for when you get out. So the shots, I think trying to rectify it is if you don't have time to actually get it in live play, because they don't always correlate, tracking things in live play that you can give that feedback as well. And it can be either or, right? You either earn the green light that way or in live play, you might be better at making those live decisions. You still get credit for that, if you will. I love that. The good to great type of philosophy or the one more, we might have to call it a greener light. Somebody has a greener light. But the other part of that is like, I would be fascinated. I know you guys are going to track a whole bunch of stuff as you go through this year. I'd be fascinated by the percentage, uh, even if they are a green light shooter, do they shoot it better early in the clock or later in the clock? Did they shoot it better off a certain penetrating kick versus obviously catching in transition and these different things that kind of might correlate. And it's just fascinating to be able to dive into the data. And what are some of the analytics that uh, you value in terms of evaluating three-point shooting? Yeah, the first, uh, you just mentioned it. We shot the ball much better if we can get it earlier in a shot clock. We were not great last year being like a 10 second and under. You need us to have a countdown. It just wasn't our forte at all. We we went through a whole gamut of ways that we wanted to try to, you know, still, I, I tell them, you know, I'd rather you shoot the ball early because we can rebound a missed shot. We can't rebound a turnover. And that might require somebody who's not a green light to shoot the ball. But uh, that's one area. So that's one that we're really going to spend some time tracking this year. We've got to get shots earlier um, in the shot clock, a lot earlier. And then once we can nail that down, then who who's getting that shot, right? Are the right people taking the shots? So 23 seconds, 23 seconds or, or higher on the shot clock will definitely be one. 
And then we call them dominoes. So if I penetrate and kick to you in the corner and then you kick it to somebody on the wing and shoot, we want to get dominoes, a game that's something that we kind of just like track, track on our end. But basically off some penetrating kick, um, the last one will be the offense rebound and kick it out. Often we want to go back up, but everybody's rushing, right? We've all been taught taught to box out, go get the ball. So now everybody's right, right there. And a lot of times they'll be spot up. So those would be the three areas that we'll look to make sure that we are able to get our threes off. And then if somebody plays this zone, uh, we just have fun with that. Um, I, I don't I don't want to overcoach or overthink it. We're still going to run our, our motion. And ideally five people, all five people on the floor can shoot. And you have to figure out which one you want to guard. Because it can't be the space. <laughs> You're going to have to guard us. So we talked about the three-point shooting. So what are you trying to do in terms of trying to get those U shots and those U attempts? So we really say if you get, you know, first we want to attack the world, right? Try to get to the middle of the paint so you have options to um, make that penetrating kick. Um, But then once that, uh, we want to attack bad closeouts. So once we penetrate and kick, say not everybody has has a green light on the team. You have some that are slashes and attack the rim. They know to attack it and look for the finish, attack, look for the finish. To get those use shots, it, it's not necessarily, again, threes are worth more than twos. So long as we can kind of get more threes up. But when we go to attack the rim, uh, we want to see how many bad closeouts we can attack. We can attack and kind of get you on your heels. Uh, we've been working on, um, you know, stride step, different finishes at the basket. And that's our first part of practice is our daily deposits, we call them, um, basically skill work for about uh, 10 to 20 minutes and we'll work on finishes at the rim, all different kinds of finishes, but often you won't rarely will you'll see us attack right off the first kind of pass that second, third pass. uh, That's where we're really trying to pick you apart. Uh, If we can get to the rim, that's what we're trying to do first. Uh, If you overhelp, we have shooters pretty much um, on each wing. Talk to me a little bit about moving away from some traditional terminology to try and make a better connection with your players in terms of their understanding of what you're trying to do. And that that is a big part of progressive coaching, I feel. Yeah, you know, I think you can, you can do this simple, you know, positions one, two, three, four, five. But I think for us to truly say that we're positionless, uh, now it's not, as, it's not as awkward when you ask somebody who's traditionally a point guard to go run the five spot, right? So for us, our, our point guards are rackers, our wings are magnets, and that trail spot would be like a dragon, and then rim to rim is a rabbit. So now they are a little bit more bought into where it's not, you know, I, I, I'm a... Five three point guard. I've always been a point guard, but now you're asking me to be in this dragon spot. Well, we're asking you to play the spot. You're not necessarily a four. And when there's times I had to just explain this to one of our uh, freshmen, when it's time for us to like drop a set and have some quick hits, everybody will be where they need to be, right? Because a quick hit is just exactly what it says. Somebody's gotten hot. We want to continue to isolate them, or we're making, you know, we're not making the best decisions in our motion. So we need to just slow things down. Let's run a set. So that's probably where I'm a little different than some of the others that we do have some quick hits. I'm not going to, and when I say live and die by it, I'll throw a set or two in there to kind of get us to regroup and then we'll get back to it. We'll we'll look at some isolations, but I was some non-traditional positions. I feel like it's been easier to get them to buy in again when you're not asking somebody who's traditionally been five all of their life and been the big. Well, now you're asking them to to go to the wing, which also happened the other day. I said, hey, you you run the magnet spot. And it she didn't even blink. It was like, okay, I'm at the magnet now, as opposed to I'm I'm only the four or the five. So it's it's been a fun way to coach. And also it's been a fun way to recruit because you can tell the players, you know, I know people say in recruiting, 
you know, do you really want to go to Denver? They have a lot of guards. Well, you don't know how we play. You're not here in our practices. We might have five guards on the floor. We we might have four. It just it just depends on what. As long as you can play fast and make the right decisions and all of those things. So I always love when I hear that in recruiting. Like you don't have to recruit for me. Me and my staff got it. We we have it. We understand. Seems like a smart way to adapt to players wanting to be versatile and not being one position. They want to be basketball players and be able to put them there. And it reminds me of a Jim Beheim quote where he said basically to someone who was a, a five, he said, who wanted to be the point guard, he said, okay, we'll call you the one, but our one plays at the rim. That type of thing where it's like, literally, it's just kind of getting them to understand where their value is for them and then for the team as well. Coach, I've heard that your practices are high energy. You got music going on. Talk to us a little bit about that philosophy. Yeah, I try to keep them engaged. You know, the old uh, Dick DeVenzio uh, quote, a quiet gym is a losing gym. And I remember my first year I used to say that. And honestly, the music now has become part for me and part for them. Um, but it really is a way to kind of loosen things up. Uh, we're, we're morning right now. 8 to 11 a.m. with our practices so uh, as much as you want them to be awake and be lively be ready to go it, they're still trying to do those things as they walk in the gym so music helps that it's hard to beat a bad mood bad mood when you're putting on like certain songs things like that the energy piece is that the team will tell you the staff will tell you i'm a huge energy person and you really don't have to come right if you don't feel it if you just got low energy i'd rather you take a day didn't come because our our sport, uh, unlike a football or a sport that has a lot more players, there's only 14 of us, right? That's playing. You had about five staff. So all of our energy impacts together. So I really try to set the tone with the music. The staff would tell you that, you know, they're required to get there 15, 20 minutes before, have high energy as well. I think it keeps them engaged. And then it also helps if practice is dragging. You know, I'm, I'm the unofficial DJ. I don't know why I have the ox. It's just been easier just edit it. I don't care what we play, but it's nice where the players can kind of feel themselves having a low moment. Can you put this song on? I'm like, if it's going to pick up the mood, 100%. If you can listen and pay attention, it, it, it's where I create a bit of my chaos. You know, chaos happens in different ways for people, but be able to like listen, still hear the music, still keep it upbeat. So it's a big part of what we do. And as long as they can pay attention, we'll continue to play the music. We're on like our fourth our fourth speaker now, which is a whole nother topic, but yeah, so we love playing music. You play it loud too. That's great. Coach, talk to me about yeah, talk to me about high energy. So like that doesn't just that doesn't mean like you're yelling. It doesn't mean you're taking charges in practice. It's not all this kind of fake bravado stuff. Talk to me about what high energy actually looks like for you. Yeah, we don't we we might do like a charge drill or something like that, but it it's constantly it, I'll say uh, probably to start practice five to 10 times, warm your mouths up, warm your mouths up. Because once we get to play defense or once we get to our station work or something like that, we have to be able to talk. So it's constantly like warming your mouth up. I'm a big uh, power positive touch person. So you know, I don't schedule water breaks in our practice plan. It's just do a drill. The intensity is high where I can kind of tell by the logo on their chest if it's going. If you guys need some water, say, yeah, like touch somebody, get a sip is, is usually what I'll say. Touch somebody, go pick them up. And, and I'm really big also in our player feedback. We will. We started to do these little like five-minute scrimmages. Okay, you guys talk and tell us what you see. Two of us coaches will be with each team. We have our own feedback, of course, but it's also interesting to hear what they have to say. So the energy comes from them feeling like they really can't have a voice that 
you know, I see this and this is why, or I took this shot. This is why that it really is dialogue. Once we start our 20 hours next week, we'll have a better idea or a, a better opportunity to watch film, whatever, play the scrimmage, watch film, and then go back and actually work on it since we have longer to do so. But the energy comes from really just everybody being able to have a voice. Everybody been able to like talk. I don't like to end on a negative. So practice always ends with our progress circle, which is progress is both the word and an acronym for our core values. And how do we get better today? How do we make progress? And usually nine times out of 10, it's something positive. And then they'll usually head the weight. So a lot of the energy is created and in terms of how I think them using their voice and then being allowed to give us feedback too, because I, I learned early on from my playing days early in coaching, sometimes they might just see something different, right? Sometimes they might have a different perspective. They're out there going through it. So um, I might apply it. I might not. So that's where our energy comes from. And then I'm constantly, you know, if you can't talk, you don't feel like talking, pick somebody else up. You don't feel like clapping, at least clap for for your teammate then if you can't clap for yourself. Uh, so it's a constant chatter, dialogue, things like that. And it's it's something that I address every day. So it's you're going to do what's important to you. People come in and are like, is it always like this? I'm like, yes, it's going to be music. It's going to be talking. You're going to hear them talking. You're going to hear them giving us feedback and suggesting because of it or not adjusting. And we'll let them know why. Coaches, a brief interruption from the podcast to talk about Hoopsalytics. With basketball season approaching quickly, do you have an affordable, powerful stats and analytics system in place yet? Rather than overspending on the same old antiquated stat system, you can get cutting edge video link stats and deep analytics at around half the price you're paying now. Hoopsalytics analysts will break down games for you so you can instantly measure the effectiveness of your players, lineups, and player combinations. And you can add tracking for your unique play sets and actions to see what's working and what needs to be improved. You can even measure shot quality and things like contested and uncontested shots to improve your offensive points per possession. Features like interactive shot charts, game timeline visualizations, assist maps, and more makes Hoopsalytics an invaluable resource for coaches of all levels. Discover how Hoopsalytics can help you save money and make better data-driven coaching decisions. Visit hoopsalytics.com ball today to learn more and start analyzing your games for free. That's H-O-O-P-S-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com slash ball. Love it. And I love the idea of the, the, the player debriefs after certain types of games or activities or whatever it may be. So give us a deeper dive into that in terms of how do you cue it? Are you cueing them with specific questions or is it allowed to be general? What are they doing in terms of these player debriefs? Right. So the, the four of us coaches, obviously uh, myself, and then Coach Miles, Coach Warrens, Coach Dent. Usually Coach Warrens and Coach Dent handle like the offense and Coach Miles and I handle the defense. So when it's time to play our five on five mini games, Coach Dent and I will go together, the offense, defense and Coach Miles and Coach Warrens. And usually we'll have our little coaches huddle and I'll say, hey, this five minutes, I really want to look for. X, Y, Z, whether it's something defensively, something offensively, or a certain player, particular um, action. And then once we get with our team, we'll say, here are the two or three things we're looking for. What have you guys been talking about? Because as we're meeting, they're also meeting whatever the team is. So they'll tell us, we want to focus on these two things offensively, these two things defensively. We'll play the five minutes. And again, we were kind of forced to be in the eight hours. I didn't want to 
constantly stop because we're going to run out of time. So we just let them play. And at the end of that five minutes, um, we'll just kind of huddle up. Usually two of the players will be kind of designated to speak because everybody can't talk, right? They'll be designated to speak and say, okay, we wanted to work on these two things. Did we get it done? I think we did. This is why. I think we did. And this is why. And then us as coaches will go, uh, this is what I thought we did well. This next five minutes, we're going to keep the same group or split it up, um, work on it. And it's it's been a, a, a fun way for us to kind of just talk back and forth. And once we start our 20 hours, it will look a little different. What we'll do station work, um, play our five minutes and be able to kind of stop and correct them in real time, play the game drop the film, do a shooting drill, and then go back and play so we can apply some of these, some of the details. So right now it's like the screens aren't exactly where you want them or the spacing isn't exactly where we want them. We just kind of let them play through it. But what our players enjoy about that is they know that they need to be ready to talk when they come to the huddle and be ready to also have a plan. And a lot of it stemmed from last year where I felt like uh, we had such a young team that they kept looking over to the bench for me to kind of get them out of these situations. I don't have a whistle during the game. You're going to have to figure out how to problem solve yourself. So that's why I wanted to implement it that way. So they're already comfortable talking through what they're feeling, what they're doing, what they're seeing, and also relaying information that, that, um, that I'm giving them. I loved music at practice. It was wonderful. Um, curious. The one challenge of music at practice is that when you want to make coaching interventions or coaching points, it becomes a little bit harder. Are you stopping music when you're coaching with specific points or are you playing through that? Yeah. So a lot of it is if it's our skill work or our kind of warm up transition drills, we have a few of those drills that we do. We're playing music, some of the station work. If it's a station that we've already done, there'll be music. But if there's if there's teaching, we're working on a set, we're working on something specific, the music will be off. So it's it's music's probably playing 80% of practice. But if it's if they can listen and still do what we ask, the music will be on. If they can't, it'll be off. So if it's something new, it's usually off. Um, once they pick it up, then we'll turn the music on. So you're creating this intentionally a little bit chaotic environment. And uh, how how have you found that helps players transfer different things to the game? You know, initially it was, oh, we're going to play music and we can have music in the game. That's how it was initially. Uh, I think what we've been able to add this summer and this preseason is really like forcing them to talk, kind of giving them the, the language to say. I feel like it's helped them a little bit more that way because they know the music might be on. Uh, we might still have something to add while they're also trying to talk to each other. So to see them kind of navigate navigate that around campus, I feel like it's already made us a lot better. Now, again, the other caveat to that is last summer we had um, nine new people. This this year we have nine returners, right? So, we, But we still have five, nine people that are also freshmen or sophomores too. So we're still young, but I think our young kids have, have grown up fast in a sense of like, no, we circle up because everybody has a voice. It's not like just grad students or just the seniors get to talk. Even when it comes to like leadership for us, everybody has a capacity to lead. And some of us might be more vocal. Some of us might lead by example. Some of us might lead in a weight room. Some of us might lead in a locker room. So the the program itself is designed for everybody to feel like valued. Or do I, do I always get it right? Absolutely not. But the space is there for them to kind of lean into whichever one feels comfortable for them. And I think because of the the music and like being okay 
using your words and speaking that it's always an adjustment for their freshmen when they come in and they're like, do I, can I raise my hand and, and like give a shout out or can I raise my hand and say something? We're circled up. There's nobody in front of anyone else. Like we're all looking at each other and you might have something that will pick someone else up or we might learn something from you, even, even though you just got here. So um, I, I do feel like it's helped us. Uh, again, I wanted to translate on the court in terms of wins and losses, but I can tell you where we are this time, in, this time this year compared to last, the previous two years, it's like night and day. I, I look at the practice plan. This was yesterday. I looked at the practice plan for the last two years, and I was like, wow, we really have come a long way. But a lot of it also is our players and the buy-in. And again, starting and recruiting, really identifying what type of players we want to be able to coach and who can play in our system and who can have success in our system. I, I definitely players, but I also imagine you and your staff are are more efficient at getting to the point of what really matters for you guys in terms of how you want to play as well, right? Oh, for sure. And I think the the other part that I learned, everyone just kind of has a role too, the X's and O's wise. Again, we we are staff of five and my ops is, is really an ops. It's not like she's one that wants to be a, a assistant coach or what's like she enjoys that role. So shout out to I, again, as I mentioned before, Coach Burns handles our uh, offense in terms of our motion offense, uh, being a coordinator, and then our skill work and daily deposits, and that is uh, Coach Dent, right? She puts together daily deposits, whether it's by your positions, it may all be rackers or it may all be magnets. We might have to split them up, but she's in charge of that. And then Coach Miles will do a lot of our transition drill when it's time to kind of get up and down different drills to make sure, as I told the team, we're going to run. We don't do any conditioning tests or anything like that. We're just going to run because you do a conditioning test. Okay, you make your mile. What happens? You still have to run anyway. So it's not like, you know, and and I try to put us in situations sometimes after a water break, we might play a random situation or a two minute or practice might be over and we'll do an overtime drill. It might be a five minute scrimmage or it might be a drill I know they hate just for like the mental part that the conditioning test is supposed to bring. So, and it helps having the same staff, you know, early on, you know, people say, uh, who, who are you going to hire? You think you need all of these things, right? You have it all lined up in an assistant for 19 years. I had a whole like portfolio and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Chris, none of that mess mattered. None of that mess mattered when I got the job because no one told me I was going to get the job in COVID in a team that had some other adversity and challenges. So everything I thought I was going to need, I didn't need per se, right? And so now to be able to articulate what type of coach I want to be, what type of leader I want to be having a staff that's returning. I'm able to push them uh, in different ways. And so we try to spend a lot of time um, talking basketball, watching more basketball, uh, watching film. And now it's easier because they know too. So it's made us better teachers for our players as well. Well, it speaks to your adaptability and the value of adaptability, doesn't it? Because probably if we did this podcast last year, we'd be talking about different things, right? Yes. And one thing that people always talk about, obviously COVID just really stalled a lot of, of growth for people in a lot of different areas. And again, because I'm one that I always operate in a positive space, I personally liked COVID for being a first time head coach because I had all these stipulations that I didn't know what I didn't know. So I didn't have time to, like one of my mentors, Lisa Stockton at Tulane, I didn't have time to call her and be upset or ask about this because, you know, we had to get tested three times a week. We had cohorts. We had to wipe the balls every 15 minutes. Like all of these things that there was no room to argue about because you want to play the game, right? And that's probably where I also developed. If we made it to game day where we could actually play the game, it was a win to me. 
So not that like I obviously want to be able to win, but making it to game day because the work that it took us to just make it there to everybody, you know, nobody tested positive. Okay. Everybody's healthy. Oh, okay. Well, the game is finally here. I'm like, y'all just play. Like we got to just have fun at this point, but it really taught me how to pivot uh, in COVID. It really taught me how to, to be patient and the, the, the old saying control what you can control. We really didn't have a choice then. And it was one that if you didn't like the phrase, you, we were all living the phrase anyway. And it really helped me be a better coach going into year four. That's why I don't feel like I get rattled as much or things bother me as much because the COVID years added light years, but it really allowed me to, to grow up a lot faster than than probably somebody else had I gotten the job two years before, two years after. Lessons everywhere. That's awesome. And you you referenced a few times, obviously, being an assistant for such a long time. So I'm curious now as a head coach, reflecting back on you as an assistant, knowing that now you're the head coach, you kind of go back and say, oh, my gosh, I wish I did more of this for my head coach. And yes. if so, what are some of those things? Oh, good question. You know, I as an assistant, it's kind of what I what I mentioned earlier. You have all these opinions, right? I think we should. I think we should. And now I think if I would go back, I I felt like as an assistant, I was always supportive of our head coaches, right? I thought I was, but I would that support would look different. Like I will make sure that they like know and fill in the seat. I didn't realize how lonely it could be to be in this seat in a sense of the decisions that you have to make constantly, right? And then when you get to the ultimate game day. Your successes and your failures are on display for everybody. You know, did you win or did you lose? Oh, you guys only won seven games. You only won 10 games. And to be there with like, we're all out here trying to do our best. Like no one really, uh, it's like Nike had a shirt a few years ago. No one trains for second place. Like no one's going to train for that. And so the same with us as head coaches or, or even assistants, no one's training to like, I really want to train to lose this game. I'm going to train it. It's like you're training to do your best. And I think reassuring those head coaches that I worked for in the past that you're doing the best that works for you and your personality. And that's one thing I tell my assistants now is if you want to be a head coach, I will definitely want to help you be there for right now. I'm the head coach. And like, this is what makes sense for me. And they're great with that. And I, I, now looking back on it, I definitely could have been a better assistant that way of like, this is her program, this is his program, and this is how they want things because this is what makes sense for them and their personality. So reassuring them that I do support the decisions that you make and not just saying it, but like showing it more times than not, not get complacent showing them how much I support them. Well, it's such a good point because, I mean, it is really easy, even with players, it's really easy to tell them what they're doing wrong. It's really easy as an assistant to tell the head coach what we can do better. But obviously, it doesn't add the value as saying, hey, this is what we can do to fix it and getting more specific in terms of problem solving and solution based coaching. Yes. And the solution part, too, I think back to my time as assistant and like we can't we can't rebound. We can't take care of the ball. Okay, Captain Obvious. Well, what are we going to do about it? You know, and I, I think now, like, the, if I could take some of those phrases back, like, that I would say, of course, they can see that. But do you have a solution? Do you have a drill? Do you have, are you going to start tracking it? Are you going to do that? And so it really has helped me help my assistants too with, again, been an assistant for so long. That's why I'm, I'm big now. Okay, bring a solution because of all the times I even said these empty statements that just came with, like, Okay, we can look and see. We can't take care of the ball. What are we going to do about it? I'm not sure. Okay, well, that's where we come in. 
Let's talk about it. What's the solution? So yes, it was, I enjoyed being an assistant. I I really love being a head coach, but I I think it's one of those things. Head coach is like the same, right? When you're recruiting and you you try to tell them in the recruiting process, this is how it's going to be. You never really know until you get there. The same with being a head coach. You can go to all these conferences and workshops all you want, but until you get in the seat, it's hard to explain. I love the phrasing empty statements. I'm going to use that. Because I, I find that's one of the biggest feedbacks I give to coaches. And I haven't phrased it that way. When I evaluate their feedback they're giving to players, how many times they give empty statements to players? Make your layup. Well, of course, like they're trying to make their layup. They're not trying to miss it. And really telling them to make the layup is giving them no specific information at all, no value added to what they can do. So that is an empty statement. So. Uh, are you aware of the type of feedback you give to your players uh, in terms of recording practice and evaluating that? No, I'm glad I'm glad you said that because I do I do that in practice sometimes. Like you got to finish, and it, it probably was on one of your podcasts where I heard you say that before. Of just like, you know, oh, make the layup. Well, it's so like basic. So I'll try. I don't get it right all the time. Hey, go off two feet next time. Use a head fake, something where a little bit more where it's not just that. Again, another one of my favorite phrases, you got to make a better pass. Well, better pass to who? Better pass how? Better pass where? So you got to make a better pass to her. Either you got to pump fake here and then make it a bounce pass. I try to do that. Obviously, the game goes faster. You don't get it right all the time. The other one you'll hear me say a lot is like, you got to run and transition. Usually now when we get in our 20 hours, like blow the whistle. Yeah, you got to run and transition. Here's this racetrack. Wilson's blown at seven seconds. You should be in your spot. If you're not, so now I can kind of give it. So I try to give more than just your, you know, you got to make that shot or, you know, use your legs on your shot. It came up short. I will try to add something. Again, basketball is a fast sport, so it gets difficult. But I think all of us coaches try to do that, not just, yeah, you have to finish. Now, one thing that drives me if we're doing a warm up drill and it's just you, the basket, and the ball, and you can't finish, like it's, there's nobody here. It's, there's no adversity for us to even tell you about. There's no body walling up. There's no one coming over to help. It's just you. So you got to finish. But yeah, try to give that context at the end because they are, they can be empty statements to your players. And you're like, okay, I know I need to finish. I know I need to make a better pass, but here's, here's how. I'm definitely the same coach. Sometimes I do say those things. I find it. And obviously you're reflective and you know better, but there's a certain amount of them that are hustle prompts. The only thing I want to say about the on-air missing layups thing, which you know I'm I'm kind of anti, they're missing those layups because there's no attentional cues, not because it's the absence, I feel. They just drop concentration because they don't have to focus on something first, is my feeling more than anything. Just like when they drop a pass, say in a full court on-air passing drill, it's not the demands of the drill that's hard. It's the fact that they don't have to have full attention to be able to do the drill. Maybe my theory. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, that, that's a good. Thoughts. That's a good way where it becomes um, almost mindless. You yeah. know, and, and I'm the one exactly that are, coach. Mindless. Yeah, two practices. We'll have. I'll do my practice where there'll be the same practice uh, two times in a row because if we introduce something new, right? The first practice, the second practice, everything's going to flow a lot easier. We all know what's coming. So usually we'll have the same practices two days in a row. Well, also because of that, the drills become mindless too, where it's, you know, there's there's no adversity out there. There's no defender or anything like that. So so the focus part of what we're asking them to do, what actually is getting done. So 
that's a good way to say that. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. How you put it of just of there's like, even if you're not playing live defense, it just gives them a different attentional focus is what I find by the research. And the other thing is, if you're doing these full court passing drills, think about just having coaches or managers or someone stand in the court. And now they have different attentional focuses in terms of that. And it tends to heighten concentration. Anyways, just decides. Coach, I want to come back. That yeah, was go good ahead. though. Go I might ahead. do that with a couple of my couple of drills that they already know. And that's how I can add it to beginners, just like add an extra defender or something. So I'll have to let you know how that goes. Please do. And I, I love that we're even having these conversations. Coach, I mean, we all get the impression from listening to you. I got the impression prior to this and researching you. You're a positive coach. You're building a positive culture. Uh, yes, absolutely. Talk to us about when you have to be hard on players in terms of, and I don't mean yelling, I mean in terms of getting them to be accountable to the things you teach. Talk to us about how you approach that. Oh, that's a great one, because I think a lot of times people misinterpret it when they go, oh, you're positive, you're positive. That doesn't mean I'm not passionate. It doesn't mean that we don't have standard and expectations. We have one team role which is make good choices. But really when it comes to on the court, we have a standard and expectations. So we talk about that. We talk about that on the front end. And we watch a lot of film, track a lot of practice. I, I'm not a huge yeller. And a lot of our drills are set up. We're going to do this five-man lead drill, whatever the drill is, right? We're going to do this drill and here's our goal. Okay, the buzzer goes off. Look up there. We wanted to get 200 or whatever. We got 150. Here's a response. I will let them like shoot for. So a lot of how I coach and hold them accountable, I try to be transparent. And this is a drill. This is what we want. Once we, now that we're a few weeks in, right, that we just finished our fourth week, we really try to teach them how to also be player led. So who understands a drill raises their hand. We want to do X, Y, Z. This is what we're trying to look for. So you guys hold each other accountable, even with our staff. So a lot of the accountability is that I tell them I want to coach you hard and love you hard. Uh, But coaching hard for me means having those standard expectations. Um, If I ask you to do something on on Monday, it still applies on Thursday. And you'll hear me. I I don't have a... Somebody asked me this one other time. I was in a podcast. It's like, you know, if your players had to describe you, I'm more of that like mom look. You know, I'm just like, when your mom just like looks at you, you already know, like, please don't say anything else. Um, I'm probably more of like the mom look of like, didn't we just talk about it? Uh, And I try to, whether it's myself or my assistants, when we're teaching a drill, set all the expectations beforehand. Talk about it. We'll walk through it. We'll show it. Any questions? Here's what we're trying to get. And so then it just makes it very matter of fact, the standard might be high, right? That we're trying to accomplish. Um, But now everybody knows as soon as it, as soon as it, as soon as the drill in, if we didn't read our reach our set goal, you have a player raising their hand. Can I shoot for them? you know if you got to run? You know this happened the other day. We had seven sprints at the end of a drill. Can I shoot for them? We'll run two, shoot for two. If it's anything over five, usually we'll run two, shoot for two. Under that, it just honestly depends on how I feel that day or how I thought the drill went. But I think that's how I've learned to have standard expectations, and it, it again it forces them to take ownership. You don't really have to yell. But then it's also, okay, we didn't make our goal, but person A and B did this better. Like, I'll still find a positive that we didn't make our goal. Still find, like, how to, how we can have the drill be better. And so it's constantly, like, talking. It's not kumbaya because it's intense and competitive, the players would tell you. But it's like, I don't have to yell at you to say, you know, make the extra pass. Like, just, just make the extra pass. I don't have to yell. I shouldn't have to yell. 
Kumbaya, I love that. I don't know if young people even know that reference anymore, Coach, but, <laughs> right, true. but, but I, I'm with Dating you. Myself. I use that reference too and Happy World and those different things that go with it. Well, Coach, I know if I'm ever around you, I want to make sure I avoid that mom look, uh, number one. And then, Coach, talk to us. University of Denver, your first head coaching job. What a wonderful opportunity for you. And, you know, it's great to be able to see you progress this program. Yeah, you know, I was really fortunate. I spent 10 years um, at Tulane and I really started to like the, you know, kind of private school setting just in the sense of you're really, be, you're really able to sell the academic success. Um, obviously, um, athletically, we still have some work to do. And then when you're not playing, because as I tell our players, basketball is important, but it's not everything. There's things to do in the city, right? There, you can have a social life. You can go hiking. You can go watch the Nuggets, watch the Rockies, there's concerts, but the university itself is just having the academic piece that you can kind of recruit with. It, is, it allows us to have players from a lot of different places. You name it from Kansas, Arkansas, Alabama, California, Wisconsin, because of our academic profile. So that's the fun part about uh, just being here at the University of Denver and then being at a place where the administration is so supportive to uh, allow me to build a culture and what fits my personality and what makes sense. They've had the patience to do so. They told me up front, like, we, we want you to build it the right way and one that um, you can be uh, confident about and confident in. So we support you, however, not however long it takes, but it wasn't like you need to win in your second year. You need to do this. It was, we've had the opportunity to build. I've had the opportunity to build in a way that fits my personality and I can feel their support too. I love it. And uh, it's one of my bucket lists to see a concert at Red Rocks there. So I don't know if you had a chance to do that yet, but one of the most no. magical places to see a concert in the world, according to others. So I cannot wait. Yes. I, so I've heard too. So I've heard our players like to do a um, sunrise Easter service there. And oh, it's yeah. like a first come first serve. So that's something I want to do as well sometime. Oh, what a magical place that would be to do that as well. So Coach, I can't thank you enough. Uh, just tremendous information you shared with us. And thank you to you and your staff as well for supporting the Basketball Podcast and Basketball Immersion. Just wonderful to be able to connect with you. And thanks for sharing the game. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're often the topic of our conversation on our staff thread about something that we've heard or listened to. So appreciate all the work that you do to just kind of bring guests on. I'm a lifelong learner. I've never stopped learning. So listening to podcasts or is a way for me to continue to grow not only as a coach uh, but our program so thank you for having me thanks for listening be sure to rate review and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game and to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter